Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 22, Act 1. Mindy A. Early, Holding Space for Processing and Magic. Recorded March 28, 2019 in New York City. So damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA listeners. Thanks for listening. And remember to tell your peeps to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever they listen to podcasts so they get the notification first of a new episode. And also remember to follow on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's how we grow our community. And we're so happy you're a part of ours pop those earbuds in. (laughs) It's National Arts Education Week, September 8th through 14th, 2019. Um, It's the most wonderful time of the year. What are you doing to celebrate? Well, we thought we'd celebrate by hearing from artists and educators who attended the Association of Teaching Artists Awards Ceremony, hashtag ATA Awards, back in May 2019. My name is Jamie Roach. I'm a teaching artist. I teach for New Victory Theater. I teach for Lincoln Center Theater, Roundabout, Disney, and New York Theater Workshop. Who introduced me to the arts? I mean, my mom, of course, is a big fact. My parents, I was lucky that they were into the arts. My mom would come into my class as an elementary school student, as an art docent, and she would show our, our class a series of paintings and we would analyze them together. That was really powerful. Um, that was before a mom coming into your class was uncool, so it gave me some cool points as well. And then uh, I'd have to attribute a lot of my interest in the arts to my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Gillis, and his wife, Mrs. Gillis. They were extraordinary, and they brought Shakespeare into our classroom. And I remember this feeling of I was rehearsing with them right after class, and we were exploring a scene, and I realized, A, how fun acting could be, and how fun Shakespeare could be. And what I always always remember is that they really let us um, play, but then they gave us a lot of actions that are like, okay, stand here as a wall and do this. And it all of a sudden it just became alive for me. And, I, and now as a teaching artist, I always try to give students actions to play so that they also feel they, it comes alive for them too. And I, I'm always channeling Mr. and Mrs. Gillis when I'm working as a teaching artist. 
I've been a teaching artist for about 10 years now. When I first moved to New York, I moved to New York to become a teaching artist, really. That was my primary focus in coming here. I met some teaching artists when I was working with a nonprofit in Uganda, and I thought, this is my tribe. These are my people. Show me your ways. And they said, come to New York City and see what it's all about. My name is Pata Yano. Um, and art for me started very early on in childhood. I grew up during a time when arts in the schools was very integral and not pushed to the background like it is today. Some of the very minor art skills that I learned, even back then as a child, I still use today. It's still all the art that I learned as a child helps me to continue to look outside the box, you know, use creative thinking to solve problems. I feel like a lot of younger uh, persons do not have that advantage now. They have a very narrow field of vision um, and struggle with little minor things in life because they don't have that immediate desire to be creative to solve problems. Uh, well, I actually work for uh, Blick Art Materials. So I'm teaching people about art every day. Every person who passes through our doors has a question. How do I paint this? Um, how do I I save this? What can I cut this with? It's about teaching art of everyone from children to adults, new art forms, new art materials. Uh, I get to teach a little bit every day. So I have one piece of advice for emerging teaching artists. Uh, this is Tom Cabanis, and I'm a teaching artist at uh, Carnegie Hall, among other places. And uh, it's really simple. Learn about everything. Learn about everything and be as flexible as you can. Good luck. Hi, my name is Lauren. Um, I was introduced to teaching artistry by Halea DeBarros. Um, a piece of advice for emerging teaching artists. I would consider working with some non-traditional populations. I work with incarcerated men, um, and I really think that um, increasing their access to art could be a wonderful thing. Um, who introduced me to the arts? My parents. Um, the arts in my life as a kid, always, you know, a way of expressing a different way of seeing the world. Um, my perspective on teaching artistry is that it's an absolutely invaluable part of um, our educational system. Um, I think it's invaluable, but also like undersold. I really would love to figure out how to incorporate more teaching artistry into um, the work that's done with incarcerated people and formerly incarcerated people in New York. What I see a lot in the men that I work with is they love to write and perform, whether it be poetry, music. Um, I think it really gives them a chance to speak for themselves in a system that often discourages people from speaking for themselves. Art has a tremendous impact on people's lives and I think could be a path towards mitigating some of the difficult things that people go through. I'm Erica Atkins. I am the Director of Operations and Communication at Opening Act and I'm also a teaching artist with Opening Act as well. A piece of advice I have to emerging TAs is um, 
not every organization is going to be the best fit for you. You get as much say as where you work as they get over whether they pick you. So really, like, get to know the values of an organization. Get to know, really get to figure out what your values are and figure out where you want to work. And just because someone is a big name, who cares? Like, if you don't like it, you don't like it. You don't have to stay. Figure out what's actually in line with your values and your teaching philosophy and teach there. The field of teaching artistry in three words is... Uh, creative, uh, unpredictable, rewarding. Who introduced me to the arts? My mom. My mother is a visual artist, um, and she teaches. In fact, uh, when I was in elementary school, my mother thought my school wasn't doing a great job with African American History Month, and my mother rolled in herself, and um, she did an African uh, American History Unit art unit with my class. And so, in a way, like my mom is my mom was actually the first artist who I ever saw who didn't work in a class like in school with us who came into a classroom specifically taught us something over the course of a, like a couple days and then like rolled out my mother is actually the first teaching artist I ever saw um, and so obviously with my mother being an artist like the arts were just like everywhere in my life there was painting all over the floor we my mom's like a part of the DC art crowd we went to like African drumming circles and like everyone was like wow that age-old, like she can really go on the drum. Like it was just a big part of my life from day one. So my mom is the person who introduced me to the art and just showed me from very early on that you can live your life that way and you can live and breathe and support yourself by being an artist. My name is Lisa DiLiberto. I'm a graphic designer, uh, segueing into becoming a teaching artist. I have a BFA from SUNY Purchase and I have been cobbling together my own experience for being in the classroom as a general ed teacher and also private art teacher, and I've also worked with adults all teaching observation drawing. And then I did my own research and I found the New York City Arts and Education Roundtable, and through there I got a re-grant to attend the conference, the face-to-face -face conference up at City College, and then I attended the job fair and sent my resume, I handed my resume to like nine different organizations who I'm now going to apply for and I met Halea at the face-to-face -face conference. I joined the round table and I'm going to become active on one of their committees for visual arts and I think this, this is just an amazing thing. I didn't have this kind of information available to me when I graduated college so the fact that it's here now I'm hoping that I can be active in bringing this information to those fine arts students before they graduate. Yeah, this has been an amazing, I feel like I'm on a roll. I'm in my element and everybody has been uh, incredible sharing information, which I, in my, in, in the design world is not really what I've been used to. So this is, this is an, an incredible experience and opportunity. The classroom has been great. Um, I've been able to actually teach art. The, the teachers now leave me their lessons to teach art to the kids from pre-K to fourth grade. Uh, and the kids know me because I've been there for about two and a half years. So I'm able to just, for me, it's just very natural to just talk about what is in their lesson. And it is, it's been an, an amazing experience. And just learning, and then working with all those different ages as well. I do kindergarten and also pre-K 
those are my favorite those are my favorite ages because they're just so imaginative there's there's not yet any other outside influence that disturbs what they are seeing on a visual basis so yeah so I love that yeah and I always tell everybody there's no right or wrong either because that's really important that they don't feel restricted by that uh, which is why I also love those ages so yeah my name is Al Santana. I'm a filmmaker, teaching artist, a former teaching artist. I taught at City College for 15 years in the film and uh, video uh, department. I think for emerging uh, teaching artists, one of the things to remember and to understand is that you're basically a performer. You're on stage, uh, especially when you're working with a classroom full of children. Um, or an adults, it doesn't matter, you're on stage and basically uh, you're doing a performance. And it's, it's not anything to be uh, intimidated by, it's just be yourself and be natural, but tell stories. That's the biggest thing you can do is just tell stories, your own stories perhaps, uh, to engage them in the process and you know, let them know that you're not you know, any different from they are. You know, there's a process that you began at, at a certain point in your life as an artist and you evolved into perhaps a teacher and maybe you were a teacher all along and you didn't know it. And uh, so when you confront your students or when you engage your students, uh, it's just good to let them know that you're, you know, you're just like them. My name is Anthony Michael Palmer. I am a theater teacher. Working as a theater teacher in the classroom, like having teaching artists come in, um, being part of the community is just so like eye-opening because they, they go in and they connect with the students a lot quicker than I think I have in being in a classroom for so many years. It's like they're in, they connect with the students right away because they do something engaging, something um, positive, something eye-opening. And the kids just like, like they, they are excited and, and over the moon once they have them come in the classroom like this one experience from there's the teaching artist I'm not gonna mention his name because I don't know if he wants to uh, be publicized but the teaching artist from the theater I think it's called the theater's people the people's theater and um, they're based in Washington um, and Washington Heights and he would come in and the kids would just gl like glow up They're like oh my god you come thank you for coming it's like we have so much fun with you it's like what are we gonna learn today when i come in we don't have that <laughs> They're like oh you again <laughs> um but the teaching artist job um is just amazing and um i kind of like i'm envious and of what they do because they do it so succinct in such a little bit of time and so little resources. And they were able to connect with students in a level in which the classroom teacher is not able to. My name's Marissa. I am a theater artist, a director of devised work mostly, and a teaching artist in New York City for 10 years or so. My advice to emerging teaching artists would be to, if you're in a challenging school, reflect after your sessions because the issue is not the students, it's you. <laughs> um, and if you need support and don't know what you're, like what, how to change what you're doing to make it successful, my next advice would be to seek out implicit bias training 
and to also seek out um, culturally responsive teaching education, political education, because these things um, and learning a learning a context or a background for where your students come from ge um, geographically, uh, demographically, will really um, help to build an understanding and a, and a trust and a connection. My favorite things about being a teaching artist are witnessing moments of breakthrough for um, folks with whom I'm working where whether it's a, a young person or an older adult, seeing them come to a revelation that they're, um, they can do something they didn't know that they could do. This year I had a young man um, in one of my residencies who was just casually talking to another child in front of me and uh, his friend said, oh, I really like having drama. I feel like we've done all these cool things that I've never done. He said, yeah, you know what else? I lost my stutter, and that's pretty cool. I'm also working with a population of older adults, and I had them write their bios for the program that I'm making. It's a, it's a show where they are, um, they've created the work, and they're also going to perform the work, and it's true stories about their own lives. And it's really beautiful to see how, uh, while many of them have been a um, part of this um, center for a long time, they've commented like, oh, I didn't know these stories about you. I didn't, we just come together and we play cards, but we don't really talk. Um, and that feels like a huge win to just be able to be in this very intimate place where folks have known each other a long time, but they're, they've known me less, way less time, and still be able to be part of these beautiful moments where they're sharing stories about survival and triumph and resilience um, and that they feel proud of those moments enough to put them on stage and so the bios that they're writing um, many of them commented in the bios like sh explicit shout outs <laughs> to me which was so sweet like clearly they, many of them had never written bios before so the things that they included that they were proud about was really beautiful they were like oh I'm you know a grandmother of this many and a great-grandmother of this many and in one, one or two people's case a great-great-grandmother and I'm really excited that Marissa did this with us because we got a chance to just tell our stories and make perhaps make an impact on other people um, yeah there's there's a love there's a love that's shared that like I don't feel any other time in any other way. Hi, I'm Deborah Nance. I'm here to um, celebrate my nephew, Ali Santana, who won an award for creativity and teaching. And as a former teacher, a special ed teacher with the New York City Board of Education, now the New York City Department of Education, my advice is to have faith and go with the flow. One of the goals of Teaching Artistry Podcast is to grow and foster the artist and teaching artist community. So I hope you enjoyed listening to all these New York-based artists share their stories, ideas, and advice. I also loved partnering with ATA, which is an organization that supports teaching artists locally and globally in hosting this award event back in May. And it celebrated artists, teaching artists, and arts education leaders. I'm also working on interviewing the 2019 ATA awardees. So stay tuned for those episodes in 2020. <laughs> okay, so it is back to school time. 
And I think it's really fitting to share an interview with guest Mindy A. Early. She's been working with the Stockton Rush Bartol Foundation to provide professional development on trauma-informed teaching with Philadelphia teaching artists. And in this episode, we learn more about her work as an artist, teaching artist, and education director. Here is episode 22, act one, Mindy A. Early, holding space for processing and magic. Hi, Mindy. Hi, Courtney. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, Thank you for joining me on the phone. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to chat. Yeah. So um, you and I have never met in person, uh, but we've had a a little bit of of chat. And um, how we've been connected is through the Bartol Foundation. Um, So can you just let us uh, let let the listeners know where you currently work and what uh, sort of is your focus in arts education? Yes, absolutely. Um, The bulk of my work is at Philadelphia Young Playwrights, um, where I am the education director. Um, And that work spans everything from our in-class programs that we do with uh, grades K through 12, um, using playwriting as um, a model to explore individual voices and to share those voices. Um, uh, all the way through our festivals and productions. We do a few productions of student work each year. And then we also do some specialized on-site programs where we use playwriting and theater as a tool to explore either different issues such as identity or sometimes we're partnering with a community site and we're exploring the history or the mission or advocacy of that community site. So... Um, yeah, that's my central work. Um, I do do some freelancing in um, other spheres. I do a lot of professional development for teachers, for teaching artists, all the way down through high school students um, on various topics as well. That's great. And how long have you worked at um, Young Playwrights or Philadelphia Young Playwrights? I was, um, my first, first Young Playwrights experience was all the way back in uh, 2004. And the first thing I did for them ever was stage manage for them and assistant direct for them on some of their productions. Um, and I did that for a speckle of years and then started, um, as a teaching artist for them around 2009, um, where I was specifically doing a project with them that was aligning playwriting with um, some social, emotional learning and literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I transitioned onto full-time staff in uh, 2011. So I've been um, the education director, I believe, since 2012. That is so funny. I So um, slight parallel, I also am an education director. And uh, I started working at the New Victory in 2003 um, and became director in 2012 as well. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so a lot of the times when we, when I talk to people, you know, I, I have a, a host of different kinds of uh, people in arts education, arts, arts education leaders, teaching artists, um, arts administrators. And um, just recently we had Thomas Cavanis, who is this sort of hybrid 
person who has sort of flipped back and forth between being the education director or a teaching artist and now is in the space where he is um, influencing program design, but not necessarily in charge of all of that. Um, so I'm curious, um, as somebody who was a teaching artist, is now an, a full-time arts administrator, and I'm sure all of that work that you do as a teaching artist is uh, very much informing how you work um, currently. But uh, how, do you, how does that feel? Somebody asked me <laughs> that question today, actually. You know, how do, w- w- I, what is my question? Um, how, how do you feel like there's a balance? Would you wish that there was more of a balance if there isn't? Um, you know, what is, what, is the, what is the world of an arts administrator slash teaching artist for you? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, it's interesting. I feel like sometimes I sense more balance than I should just by virtue of the fact that I do facilitate so many professional development sessions. I really have a deep love for being in conversation with other teaching artists and educators. Um, which I've been doing more and more lately um, across arts disciplines, not just theater, which has been like a total gift to be able to be in multidisciplinary conversation with folks. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like that gives me a little sense of like false balance because I am facilitating, but I'm not facilitating with young people, which is a huge passion of mine. you know, and I, I don't get to do that as much as I would like to, but at the same time, tomorrow I'm in a classroom subbing for another teaching artist. Um, yeah, so, and I do uh, go in often to, as um, auxiliary staff, to help facilitate revision conferences, and I do go in as a classroom actor. Um, so while this year I'm not running one of our classroom residencies, I do try to get into the classrooms as much as possible to keep that connection directly with our students. And then through our productions and um, our on-site programs, um, I do facilitate some programs as well. So there's a, um, for our students who either are coming from other uh, arts disciplines or through Young Playwrights, I facilitate for high school students a class called the Business of Being an Artist. And those are for, that's for students who specifically are identifying like, huh, I think I might actually want to do this for a career. Um, I may not have any surrounding support um, to help me understand what navigating that is like, you know, from what I can do in high school through college or another training program and beyond. So I started facilitating that, you know, I do some master classes with our resident playwrights. and, and other things like that. But I have to say, in terms of, you know, where I get my new ideas from or new activities that I pass along to my other teaching artists or things like that, all of those only happen when I'm in the classroom, mm-hmm. working with an actual body of students because I'm such a responsive artist to, like, mm-hmm. here's this particular group of students, mm-hmm. and I love tailoring things to them. Mm-hmm. So that's what I constantly invent new activities to respond to my students directly. So... Sometimes that well feels a little dry because I'm not driving one of our residencies from start to finish because mm. they're um, they're like 25 sessions long oh, in their wow. longest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so once a week for 25 weeks, and that's really hard to commit to as an education director when you're kind of being pulled in so many 
directions because we work with 40, over 40 schools a year. So I also have to help support all those 40 schools. So committing myself to one school for 25 sessions is not the, you know, as you may know, is not the easiest thing um, in the world. When there are shorter residencies or I have magic windows of time, I do try to get myself in the classroom as as a teaching artist as much as I can. So, so much of what you're saying completely resonates with me. I, um, I was just having, um, a a milkshake (laughs) meet up with one of our fellows, um, who Mm -hmm. is, you know, just burgeoning and merging into this career and trying to find her way. And, um, she was asking me uh, about teaching and, and, um, uh, one of the questions that she asked me was what's the difference between teaching kids and teaching adults? Mm. And nobody's ever really asked me that question. I'd like to mm. pose that to you, and then I'll tell you what I my answer was. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if my answer would be different now. Mm. I have to think about that. That's, that question is what transitioned me into theater education in the first place. Oh. Um, because my initial path way back when, um, my goal was to stick with directing um, as my primary focus and had hopes to, you know, direct around regionally around, um, the, the Northeast area doing professional productions, mm-hmm. um, that aligned with, um, a fellowship that I had with Philadelphia Theater Company. Um, and I started the same year as their first ever education director. And, um, Maureen was, the first one who introduced me to the world of educational theater. So I was working with all of these, you know, adult folks in professional theater spaces and I was working with the kids mm. and I just got so excited by what the kids were creating. Um, and then was noticing, um, you know, once you create a space for students, I feel like once you kind of chip through that initial uh, reticence or uncertainty or like, what is this? And you've created the safe space. Like they take big leaps mm and do like really daring kind of wild things and aren't worried about like what traditional form is or maybe traditional style or choices are because mm. they're really game to explore and exper- experiment and like kind of don't have all the weight of, um, of having all of those, you know, all of that traditional, um, baggage almost loading them down yeah. versus, um, you know, a lot of the, the professional environments I was in, I, you know, I almost put it in my body, like the tension that I, I felt adults were having. Like there was real ten, uh, tension and reluctance mm. to, to let go, to explore, to risk. Um, you know, so I really gravitated towards the students and I kind of just kept following them down the path. Mm-hmm. And that path led me into theater education. So... Mm. Uh, you know, now that I'm teaching adults as well, I mean, I do, I do see some of that. I mean, I do see some, some reluctance, you know, some, um, some fight against, you know, belief systems Mm. or habits, Mm -hmm. you know, and the, the weight and the pressure and the, you know, kind of panic a little bit that I feel too sometimes when it's like, oh my God, what is being given to me now? Like kind of completely, um, 
is deconstructing my practice and I have to, to build it up all over again if I'm really going to dive into what you're presenting to me. Mm. You know, so I, I do see see some of that, but I don't see it in the the kind of black and white way that I did when I first got on this path in the first place. Right. How about you? Yeah, so, so the, I, I think, um, so I started teaching kids. I, um, it was my first professional development opportunity. I really was like, Oh no, I don't think I should tell teachers what to do. No. And, um, because I was so reticent and like sort of had a lot of, um, imposter syndrome going into a professional development, I decided Mm -hmm. whatever it is that they say, I'm just going to ask a bunch of questions and not give any answers. I'm just going to keep giving and and, and say, what do you think? <laughs> um, which that approach works, you know, to, to a certain degree. But um, what I, my answer that, ha- that I made, I said today was I felt similar to what you said about um, when I'm teaching, I mostly teach adults, whether it's in grad school or uh, professional development uh, opportunities and less so with kids, which I adore working with kids. Um, mm-hmm. is, and, and, and as an education director, very, very infrequently get to teach, um, teach in the classroom, though I did get to do so last, uh, last month, um, is that, yeah, often I'm teaching somebody who is analyzing what I'm doing to figure out how they can incorporate whatever I'm, I'm imparting into their own practice. So... I don't necessarily feel resistance. I I feel a lot of questioning. I feel a lot of, um, you know, mm-hmm. trying to try to just unpack all the things or deconstruct, like you said. Um, and I think with kids, you know, they just they're there to learn, and and it's sort of like it's almost like by accident. Like I just happen to be in the same place as you, and I oh I can learn this oh, okay, and when they do. Mm-hmm you can just see there's something that when they get something or when they make a connection that, you know, you haven't put there, you just sort of paved an avenue for them to, to make some sort of connection. There's a light that sort of shines from within and then they, it's really cool to watch them sort of make their own connections as opposed to, um, the way it is with teachers who want to know like, well, what about this? And what about that? Yeah. How can you? And whereas kids will say, Oh, we're, we're going to, we're exploring deer. Well, I, I saw a deer once. (laughs) Oh, we're going to physicalize a deer. I think I saw the deer and it did this. And so I'm going to now physicalize do it. Um, There's just a different approach and that sort of big risk taking that you were talking about. Like there's just, there's not that same sort of, and I don't think resistance is quite the word, but the energy, the, um, the way that they are discovering feels has a different synergistic, synergistic energy center. There's just something different that's happening where it's, uh, it's about eye opening and building new windows for kids as, and with adults, it's like filling in, gaps or filling in new information that then needs to be processed in a in a way because they already have a whole ton of information Mm -hmm. and so they have to sort through right and like categorize it and (laughs) you know there's there's a there's a different process so i i find that one of the things that we we talk about a lot here is that we really try to approach everybody no matter what what age we're working with as artists so there's just like this uh, uh, um, innate 
respect for you as a human artist, whatever that mm-hmm. means. And that even if you have a particular um, passion or joy where what we're bringing in can make a connection to that and it could look a whole lot of different ways um, and, and it's often unexpected. And that's what I, that's what I miss is the unexpected and being able to, to really, like you said, customize and tailor and move where the kids take you. Um, you can do that to a certain degree with adults, but they want to know what's going on <laughs> and they want to know that, you, yeah. know, you know, what you're going. Um, so there's just a little bit of a different kind of pressure, I think. And it's all good. It's all very good. It's all thrilling. But oh, absolutely. It's just, yeah, there's yeah. something joyous and wonderful about working with kids that um, I don't think um, can be... I almost... I, I don't want to say it can be quantified, but it's it's hard to, to um, capture the exactness of it. You know what I mean? Like, there's just something magical that happens that is hard to capture. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. As you were talking, I was wondering, you know, is it just, is it partly the difference between, you know, just developmentally speaking, Mm -hmm. young people are so malleable Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, you know, their systems and their worldview and all of those things, like those are still fluid and, and developing. And then, you know, to no fault of our own, when we reach adulthood, so many of those things have become more concrete and built in mm-hmm. so oh, when we're receiving information we can get so systematic about it yeah yeah and that's where that what are the deliverables that you're giving me right now yeah, <laughs> yeah. can come from yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I do like that's why I like I enjoy working in a university setting because there is um there is such a the, a deep desire to be there and to learn. And to, so there's a lot of sponges that I, I am surrounded by. Mm-hmm. And so it's less, uh, I feel like it's a little closer to the kids, even though it is about like, how do I take this and make this my own? But um, because often, you know, they're, co- well, they're coming in with varying degrees of experience in educational theater. And so they're, they're asking the kinds of questions that are exciting to me and feel um, more akin to, I guess, mentorship. Um, mm-hmm. um, that is also sort of um, an exciting um, component of the the kind of work that we do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so as uh, as you've sort of evolved your your practice. Um, you you do a lot of professional development and you've been doing professional development for Bar Toll Foundation. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about the the focus of it and how it sort of came together and then we can dig in a little bit deeper? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next Saturday, we're finishing up our second cohort of teaching artists through the 20-hour Bartle trauma-informed teaching artistry training that um, I've created in tandem with um, Beth there at the Bartle Foundation. Um, And that work really started for me. um, It came directly out of um, the need that I and so many of my teaching artists were experiencing at Young Playwrights. Mm. 
um, it just sort of set me on the path of this whole journey and it's kind of blossomed and blossomed in this beautiful way into this multidisciplinary arts conversation I get to have mm-hmm. around trauma-informed practice and healing-centered practice and growth-centered practice and like all of those super important things when, you know, we're sitting across from young people um, and creating art with them, but also building relationships with them and mm-hmm. helping them grow and then recognize their growth. So at Young Clearates, um, one of the coolest things I think about our organization is that, you know, we're bringing playwriting into classrooms as a, a vehicle for expression. And when we do this, um, and we impart this to all of our school sites and, and teachers and encourage this to remain um, open-ended like this. We say to students, we're going to teach you this form that you can use, which is a performative form. We are not going to tell you what to write about mm. at all. So you have an opportunity um, knowing that this is a performative art form and that everyone will get to share their pieces at the end of this to communicate something that's really important to you about yourself, about the world, um, to an audience. So you can use that however you want, whether that's like the funniest thing that you've ever written (laughs) and like the funniest joke you've ever told in a play format or, you know, a really serious dramatic issue or a really intense area of advocacy that you want to put out there into the world. Mm -hmm. So in addition to, I think, you know, the general ed- educator conversation that's that's bubbling right now, an arts educator um, conversation that's bubbling right now, where you go into schools and classrooms and communities and you're working with young people and perhaps you're seeing belief systems at play or behaviors at play that are challenging, but you, you as an empathetic artist human know that those things are originating from something that is way outside of the art that you're bringing to them and yeah you yourself as a person, that those have root cause elsewhere. Um, so we had those that, but we also had our young people taking this opportunity to write plays and digging into some really serious things. Right. And then sometimes disclosing to us, mm. hey, this really serious thing that's on the page, this is me, um, or this is a circumstance, or this is a family member, or this is a friend. Right. Um, so this like has direct impact to me. So, you know, and that's happened to me as a teaching artist for young playwrights. And I can't, I think I could pretty much say that's happened to any teaching artist that's taught for young playwrights because students rightfully so, um, you know, are getting this platform that is probably pretty rare in how schools are currently operated. Um, you know, to say whatever they want to say, Um, in a really supportive environment. So they take that to heart and they give their heart through their plays. So you have me and my teaching artists going like, oh my God, I want to take care of this heart that's being handed to me. Mm. Um, And I'm doing it um, instinctually as an empathetic artist human being, but I suspect there are practices out there that can, can really help me take, do a better job. Um, you know, or do a more mindful job or give me vocabulary or framing that helps me determine how to interact with this student in that moment. So um, when I was introduced to an organization in town called the Lakeside Global Institute, they have a, a 72-hour trauma-informed training. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also have scores of other classes. The last class I took for them was actually one of the most 
impactful to our work at Young Playwrights. It was called Processing Pain and Facilitating mm-hmm. Healing, mm-hmm. Um, which, right, relate, I mean, with to what I just said, you know, so just the information about how we process and the importance of processing, um, you know, and how that can be a healing experience. I was having aha moments every class session for that class, you know, thinking about our students and how they're using their plays essentially as processing. Right. And then having a conversation with my teaching artist about like, hey, if we suspect a student is using their play as processing, we probably shouldn't be dramaturging it like the greatest next American play. Like they're not doing this for <laughs> right. craft based yeah. reasons, right? They're doing this for even if it is the, you know, next greatest American play, because mm. it's an amazing play, but we're just, you know, it's coming from a personal place. Like we need to be, you know, within our lane or teaching our lane, we need to be dramaturging that, you know, gently and most helpfully for them. And like right. what are the tools there through the trauma informed lens that we can apply and take care of them? you know, and get a sense of, you know, if they are ready to really like dig into like the staging of it or other things, or are they pretty much trying to get their narrative on the paper? So I think that's like one of the most visceral examples of why here at Young Playwrights, we were like, oh my God, there needs to be, someone needs to help us with this issue. And, you know, the, um, the information, you know, posts that I've gleaned through Lakeside or through other trainings, um, and, and books that I've read have really helped us start to, because it's a huge shift and journey, but helped us start to, through pieces of our curriculum, lay in groundwork that, you know, recognizes these things and, and helps us take better care of our students, which was really um, our goal. So that's what started me on this journey. Um, and then I know um, Beth Melvin Brandt at the Barrel Foundation through conversations that the city of Philadelphia was having about, you know, the impact of trauma on our city and how that plays in educational spaces um, because Bartle facilitates so much, so many great sessions for teaching artists in terms of professional development. Mm -hmm. She wanted to create one that was trauma informed for multi arts disciplines and engaged me in that conversation. And it's, it's been a really great, experience so far you said so many things that i want to i want to go uh deeper into i'm what what are some of the books that you you've been using as resources um so the body keeps the score is Mm. one that i think a lot of folks talk about when i when i um talk with teaching artists both through the borrow training and um other trainings, um, and if they've read a book in trauma-informed practice, that's usually the one that they've read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recommend that one as well, just because out of all of the books I've read, The Body Keeps the Score explains the brain-based research in such an accessible way mm. um, that I think it just, it's, it makes it really easy for folks to to understand, whereas some of the other books I've read have gotten pretty um, pretty scientific and um, you know physiological, and it's it's harder to kind of wrap your brain around it if you're not coming from a behavioral health or science background. Right. Um, another one that I really like that 
I do a few chapters with my teaching artists in the, in the Bartle training. It's a book called Working with Traumatized Children, a handbook for healing. Um, the trick with a lot of, all of these books um, that I've read so far um, is they are coming from a medical or behavioral health uh. lens, you know, so when we read them as, you know, artists and educators, we kind of have to do that bridge building work to taking what we can from that and like building it over into like, what, how does, what does that mean for our work here? Right. Because the authors are doing that work for their own, you know, practice, whether that's coming from the psychological realm or the behavioral health um, sphere. So, um, you know, that's, Partially, that's why Beth had me write a handbook for our teaching artists, because right. it's really hard to just, and I wanted to so badly find the, you know, the book or the resource where I could tell all of my young playwrights teaching artists, like, this is the thing to read, or this is the thing to go to, mm. uh, but there's just not anything I've discovered yet, um, and I hope someone listens to this podcast and then um, emails me and tells me about a great resource I don't know about yet because that well, would be amazing. Was, that's interesting because I was thinking like, no, I think you're the one who's supposed to write this or, um, you know, partner oh. with somebody Ooh. to write it. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying, and that's what I'm seeing. So I give that's, that to that's you. Fair. That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. I I hear that. I receive that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Let me um, ask you this question. Um, have you have you um engaged or read anything by Sean Jenright? Um, not yet, believe yeah. it or not. Okay. Um, so, I, I literally have just his name sitting in the subject line of an email in my inbox because oh. he's the next person that mm-hmm. I want to want to, to read. Yeah. So yes, his book, Hope and Healing, um, you know, he comes from an academic point of view, but uh, as mm-hmm. an academic who when he was um, obtaining his PhD uh, um, was saying similar things, actually, that he felt like, you know, I was working in these after school programs with these young men and, and um, what I was learning in school wasn't matching the, the experience that I was seeing on the ground or with these young people where they just want to live in dignity and, and you know, they would have these experiences mm-hmm. that, you know, weren't being addressed within that academic uh, work or books or literature. And so he uh, said that when he, he's written other books, but this particular one, he wanted to write a book that, um, how he, how did he put it, um, that his mother could read who's not an academic. So it's, it's, Mm. uh, it's uh, full of different case studies, which in my mind, I'm like, oh, these are stories. <laughs> but, you know, in academics, it's case studies. So it's a lot of, uh, of, of that um, in San Francisco and Oakland, more, spe- more specifically. Um, so it's a good book. And they also have a, quite a bit of uh, curriculum, like a, a, they have some materials that I think might be good. And, and what has been interesting, um, based on what you're just saying, it's, it's, sim- it's similar where... Um, you know, he was coming at it from such a, an academic, uh, experiential place for himself and sort of somebody discovered him in arts education and now he's, he's engaging more and more with artists and it's a, it's a very natural fit between youth engagement and, um, uh, radical healing, um, and restorative justice and arts 
Um, so he's he's actually shifted his practice a little bit to lean more towards arts or how these two, how, where the intersection is of these two and yeah. actually engaging artists as facilitators of this work. And his, his I, I was writing this down while you were talking about um, uh, the radical healing framework is called Karma. It's an acronym for uh, culture, agency, relationship, meaning, and aspiration. And that there's work to be done under each of those categories um, or those uh, pillars, I guess. Um, anyway, you should listen to his podcast. He, he, I have an interview with him <laughs> um, where he talks a little bit about this. And then you should definitely reach out to him. I'm happy to put you in, in contact. And he does a ton of webinars. So I just, I actually have one that I could forward to you, but he just did. That would be amazing. Okay. I would love that. Yeah. Anyway. I, so it's, I think that these, what you, what you're creating, what he's already, the work, there might be something there. There might be something there. Um, and, uh, so I'd love to hear more about the, uh, the framework of this professional development. You said it was, I, I'm sorry, you did say, but I, I didn't write it down. So I, how many sessions is the package, the whole course? It's, um, it's five sessions. Five sessions. Um, each session in person is four hours. Okay. I oh, 20 hours. I heard 20 and I was like, Ooh. yeah, oh, 20. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's five four-hour sessions, which is 20 hours, and I celebrate every teaching artist who's taken it so far because um, mm. they also do some previewing and pre-reading of other source materials right. in addition to the handbook um, and some exploratory activities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really it's 20 in-person hours, but I mm. imagine that they're putting in almost 20 additional outside hours. Wow. Um, you know, because this is a very vast, complex mm-hmm. topic. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that you have to explore on the theory side uh, before you can get into the practice application side. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's really what, um, that's really how the course is structured when they read the chapters in the handbook. Um, and the other readings or videos that we provide, you know, that's kind of really digging into the theoretical side and some of the practice side, but mostly that's their theory basis for the in-person session, which is then a jumping off point to really put those concepts into practice, to, um, you know, sit with artists in their discipline or cross-discipline, depending on what we're discussing, to exchange practices, to you know, talk through specific um, challenges that they may have had in the past in the classrooms or, you know, in present in classrooms um, and really, you know, expand our toolkits when we're sitting around the table um, with each other in person. We also do um, four guest artists a session Mm -hmm. um, for each of the curricular sessions. So um, this past... um, This past time we've run through the program, Um, the first session um, we had an art therapist and and friend of mine, um, Christina Marrero, came in. um, And our first session is the most theory-heavy day out of all of them because you kind of need to have that foundation. Um, So bringing in an art therapist who really is 
you know, coming at this from the behavioral health realm, the therapy realm um, is important to me because of that continuity there and, you know, giving proper due diligence to like, yeah, this is really um, heavy material. And like, how do you, as a teaching artist, stay in your lane as a TA when you're not an art therapist as well? I think it's an important thing to talk about, like, where are our boundaries, which is something we talk about in this course. Mm-hmm. Um, setting healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a few other guest artists come in as well. This past session, we had a great uh, movement artist come in, Siobhan Norris, a great um, musician come in, Josh Robinson. And then also we did some poetry with uh, Artwell, which is a fantastic organization oh. in Philadelphia whose who's focus is, you know, on healing-centered, using art for healing-centered practice. So, um, the teaching artists get to expand their toolkits with me and each other, and then they also get to expand their toolkits with, you know, some of the other Philadelphia artists in town who are doing really great practice. Thank you for listening to Episode 22, Act 1 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Mindy A. Early, holding space for processing and magic. Join us next time for Act 2. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Brandon Hutchinson is the media arts coordinator. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry and on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.